0: Chuck Smeaton from the Royal Institution of Australia and this is the Cosmos Briefing Podcast. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land wherever you are listening from today and I would like to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. Scientists say that 2021 is our last chance to stop the effects of climate change from fundamentally disrupting the weather patterns we've relied on for millennia. After a year's delay due to COVID, the 26th United Nations Climate Change Conference, also known as COP26, is about to begin in Glasgow, providing a crucial opportunity for more than 100 world leaders to come together and chart our future on this planet. But what do the climate scientists themselves think of this pivotal moment? This week, Cosmos journalist Lauren Fuge speaks to five Australian climate scientists, one each day, To give you an insider's guide into what's at stake at COP26, what to look out for, and what their hopes and fears are. Today we talk to Professor Matthew England, a physical oceanographer and climate scientist. He is currently Cientra Professor of Ocean and Climate Dynamics at the University of New South Wales, Sydney, Australia. Why
1: is COP26 in Glasgow considered to be a pivotal moment for the world?
0: I think
2: COP26 is a huge meeting um, for climate change uh, action. I mean, COP26 is COP26, and you've got to remember this means it's the 26th time the nations of the world have got together to discuss the threat of climate change, and I'm already confronted by that. Um, But every now and again, a COP meeting comes along like Paris, like Copenhagen, and and now the one in Glasgow that really needs action. It needs a concerted effort. And, And what we're talking about now is a commitment to net zero and defining pathways that, that get us to net zero. So it's a critical meeting. It is probably our last chance in the sense that we need all the world's nations to come together and commit to net zero and commit to a, a path of, of action that gets us there in as quick a time as possible.
1: We've been holding major climate talks for many years now without a lot of definitive movement in Australia. Do you, do you have hopes that this will change things for us, that Glasgow will be a bit of a turning point for us?
2: Yeah, I hope Glasgow is a a different outcome for Australia. We've been very uh, slow to act on climate change. We've got a heavy fossil fuel industry that has been slowing down action. A big lobby group there pushing government to keep our fossil fuel extraction going, uh, ongoing. Um, What I'm hoping with Glasgow is that there's a realisation at the highest levels of government that this is bad practice, not just for the environment, but also for jobs and for, for the wealth of the nation, we have our, our major trading partners are moving away from fossil fuels and it's just um you know it's poor policy to go to this meeting and, and not be aware of that uh, my sense is that the government is now aware that their trading partners are moving from fossil fuels and so we need to be moving towards exporting our solar technology for example keeping fossil fuels in the ground and i feel like the, the 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 tide is turning on australia's position here but let's see what happens when when the meeting plays out
1: and Scott Morrison is now attending. Wasn't sure for a while whether he was, but he's now attending. What kind of message do you think that sends? Oh,
2: it's a huge. It's a huge message. So the fact that Scott Morrison is now attending is is a big um, reason to be hopeful. Um, because uh, up until a couple of weeks ago, that wasn't on the cards, and that was sending a message that Australia wasn't taking this position, the the the, the issue seriously. The fact we have our prime minister now attending is is a big indication that the government's going to be taking this issue seriously. So I'm I've gone from kind of despairing about our position to being very hopeful. Um, if the top levels of government are aware that uh, this is an important meeting for the nation, not just for the environment but for our, our economic future, um, then then we can be hopeful that Australia is going to go to this meeting and actually, you know, negotiate properly. Uh, with with the future of the climate system uh, on on the radar, and and actually the future of our economy as well, because fossil fuels are going to be abandoned as a, as a source of power, and Australia needs to 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 you know in a way catch up and and get with the program, and and realise that uh, our best hope for for the economy as well as the environment is to is to leave those fossil fuels in the ground, and to move on to the renewable sector.
1: Now, obviously, a big part of COP26 will be discussing emissions reductions. But other than that, what else would you like to see discussed?
2: COP26 is going to be, a lot of COP26 is going to be about emissions reductions. It needs to be, our emissions are skyrocketing at a time when they need to do a big U-turn and, and go down to zero with, within just a few short decades. But there are a lot of other issues that need to be discussed. Um, and, and one of them is climate adaptation. We're seeing extreme events around the world play out with, incredibly detrimental impacts on societies um many of the world's leading nations the nations that actually um are responsible for most of the world's emissions have the the wealth and the and the you know the 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 medical systems the hospital systems the infrastructure to to deal with some of these um events actually even even those nations i'm thinking of germany with recent floods and so on even these nations these events are catastrophic huge loss of lives and 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 very detrimental for the economy um, and so on. Those nations are are struggling to deal with the worst impacts of climate change. There are other nations that actually um, will struggle even more because they don't have the same infrastructure to deal with the climate emergencies that arise. And, And so a big part of COP26 will also be around climate justice and making sure that the nations that actually, if we're being honest, have virtually have done virtually nothing to contribute to this problem they're actually going to bear some of the worst impacts of climate change. And I think um, the world needs to understand that, that the nations that have created the problem need to actually um, ensure that, that right around the world, um, the poorer nations are actually also able, uh, you know, given, given the right means to adapt to some of these um, catastrophic climate events.
1: In your view, what would be the best and the worst outcomes of COP26?
2: The best outcome for COP26 would be a really meaningful pathway to net zero emissions. I looked through the list um, just this morning of all the nations that have committed to net zero, and it's a very impressive list, and it's all the big emitters, which is great to see. Having a commitment to net zero is just one uh, win. the The real win will come with a clear pathway, and so what I'm talking about there is some concrete goals for 2030, which is only about you know eight or nine years away now. Uh, we need to get concrete goals for 2030 that have emissions tracking towards net zero. We can't just pretend that come 2047 or 48, we can start to think about net zero. It needs a, a whole scale effort right now and a pathway through the next few through through the next few years towards net zero. So a big win would be a meaningful pathway to net zero um, by 2050. It, better still, earlier than that. And the worst, the worst outcome would be a whole bunch of arguments and and, uh, tense negotiations across nations, where people, uh, where the leaders of those nations aren't prepared to to come to agreements that um, put emissions reductions front and center, and put a pathway to net zero um, in a in a properly conceived and properly thought out um, you know set of action around around emissions reductions. So. Um, It could go either way. We saw in Paris a a real sense of victory, you know, the high-fiving across the major leaders was great to see. Um, And there were great, there were wonderful aspirations there to keep the world's warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. That COP meeting is already five plus years ago. um, And we haven't seen the kind of action that matched those um, celebrations at the end of the, of the, of the COP meeting there in Paris. So, um, you know, It's all very well having plans and aspirations. And net zero at the moment for 2050 is a plan and an aspiration. We need to see that um, genuine pathway to net zero charted out at this COP meeting.
1: And since the Paris COP, how has climate science improved or changed?
2: Uh, Two things have happened since the the Paris COP, I think. One is that um, the science has just become even more... uh, unambiguous, even more settled. It, war- it already was settled. Suki Minabe just a, a couple of weeks back was awarded the Nobel Prize along, along with Klaus Hasselman uh, and, and another, uh, uh, an expert in complex systems. But the, Suki, I, I raise in particular because he um, made the first sort of global climate projections in the 1960s. Okay, this is 50 plus years ago. Um, those projections that that, um, Professor, uh, that Professor Manabe pioneered in the 60s, they've played out in time. We've sat back and we've watched his projections pretty much come to bear with Arctic amplification, greater warming over the land and over the oceans, a delayed warming over the Southern Ocean. All of these projections were, were there already in the 1960s. And so when I say the science is more settled, it, 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 it was hard for it to get even more settled because it was already settled 20, 30 years ago. Um, The alarm bells have been going off since the first COP meeting um, was convened. Um, And so so there has been, you know, back back to since Paris, the science has gotten more and more clear. But also what's played out, unfortunately, is some of these absolutely catastrophic climate events, Um, the the Australian bushfires a couple of years ago, some of these horrendous flooding events over Europe in in the last year, Um, hurricanes that have, you know, caused untold damage all these sorts of events we're seeing them play out with greater severity with greater frequency and and much greater costs to society and so unfortunately part of what's happened since Paris is a realization of the urgency of the problem because these events are far more costly in their aggregate than it will than it will be to address the problem of our um, surging emissions so um, unfortunately, since Paris've we've, we've had a greater lens on the impacts of, of doing nothing.
1: What should be the main takeaway message for the average Australian watching this or watching COP26 going on? What should they really know about this summit?
2: Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean yeah for COP 26, I would hope the average Australian would look at this meeting um, with a lot of expectation, anticipation, maybe some hope because our government is is moving in the right direction by making a pledge um, to move to net zero emissions by 2050. But the reason we should be, um, we should watch this with anticipation is this is a globally coordinated effort. If Australia can go there with a strong climate policy and and join other nations, all the big emitters around the world on a pathway to net zero, um, then we can can hope that our own climate here in Australia um, will we'll stabilise at a level that is not too costly to us. Um, and so it's a really important meeting for the average Australian. Our farming sector, our vulnerability to bushfires, all of the, all of the Australian coastline that's vulnerable to sea level rise, uh, the northern part of Australia that's susceptible to tropical cyclones, the spread of malaria, dengue fever, some of these horrible illnesses that will spread uh, more because of climate change. We've got a huge vested interest in in a in a policy platform for us in Australia, but also internationally towards net zero emissions to stabilise the climate system at a level that is um, you know that is going to be viable for our future generations not not people that are going to be born in decades from now, but actually the people who are alive and 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 living in Australia today. We've got a hugely um, a huge interest in this. Um, COP meeting, delivering
0: us a safe climate future.
1: Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you, Matt.
0: We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode, one of a five-part series that will talk to Australian climate scientists in the lead-up to the 26th United Nations Climate Change Conference in Glasgow. Remember that you can head to cosmosmagazine.com via the link in the description for more great content. And you can also subscribe to Cosmos Magazine, Australia's only science print magazine, and Cosmos Weekly, with its unique approach to how science, current affairs and the economy intersect. You can watch and listen to all our Cosmos briefings via the link that you'll also find in the description. And remember, if you support science and its communication, please support our work at the Royal Institution of Australia. I'm Chuck Smeaton. Today's interview was hosted by Lauren Fuge, and our executive producer is Catherine Roberts. Thank you.